Welcome to Hollywood Wolfpack with Kaya Alexander, featuring in-depth interviews and insights with professionals in the entertainment business. Get everything you need to navigate your above-the-line career right here. This podcast is often recorded live in front of Kaya students in the Entertainment Business School. You can find out more at entertainmentbusinessschool.com. Hollywood Wolfpack is the new face of entertainment business wisdom. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome, everybody. I'm Kaya Alexander, your host, and I am here today with our special guest, Tom Vaughn. Let me tell you about Tom. Tom Vaughn has been a professional screenwriter for 27 years and has taught the subject for nearly as long. He's been the first or last writer on seven produced films, including Winchester, starring Helen Mirren and Sarah Snook. Most recently, he was the co-producer and for the first time, the middle writer of Haunting of the Queen Mary, in which he receives story credit. He has two more feature projects expected to be in production after the strike. And we're after the strike. Yeah. Screenwriting online at storyandplot.com and has fulfilled a longtime ambition by teaching screenwriting at his alma mater, the University of Houston. And I want to tell you, Tom has a special gift for you for all of my listeners and for my students who are here live with us. If you go to storyandplot.com forward slash Wolfpack. Tom has a download for you. Tom, welcome to the show. Tell us about it. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, this, the download is 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 basically something I, I created for my students uh, a few years back of a scene to scene checklist. So it's literally after you write your script, after you've written your short, whatever it may be, you can take this checklist and go back. And it's basically a way to assure each scene is as streamlined, as efficient, as compelling as uh, as possible. And one of the things that I, I discovered about it, because I actually started to write this list for my students, and I realized like there's like 45, 50 things here. How could anyone possibly think of all of these things while you're writing? And you can't. You, you really can't. It, it freezes you up if you try to think about all these things. And so the the advice is to use it as a rewrite and use it as often as possible because eventually all these things become habitual and they become part of your writing process without you ever really thinking about it. And so the goal is to take what is kind of difficult and conscious at first and then to make it an unconscious part, which is, is really just experience of just taking that um that ability and then make it part of your process without ever really thinking about it i love that that's almost like music you know you really have to practice music and muddle through for a while before you feel like oh i can actually play this instrument you know yeah it's a bit yeah. like that because a lot of people yeah. they 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 have questions about like how do you think of that so fast how do you identify that so fast how do you see it so fast and it isn't a talent really it's experience of that these are the things that eventually you are thinking about constantly and you identify them after like 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 the the 10,000 hours they say you know like after you after you acquire that and it's just really experience and a and a way to filter this information through after the thousand drafts yes 
<laughs> hey, um, what do you feel makes a great screenplay? What are the elements that really move you when you're reading, when you're writing? Uh, well, I, I I think myself, and I think it's it's relatively universal. Obviously, everyone has kind of like a personal thing that they they attach to and they have a personal reaction to. But I think in general, what you are looking for is an emotional reaction. You are looking for something that evokes emotion, um, and it's really all you're trying to do through the whole process is narrative momentum and emotional resonance of trying to get us to feel something uh you know our our business is is an emotion-based business you know <laughs> film and movies and tv are are you know um, um, emotion creation devices that's what they're there for is to have us have an emotional response and so as, as you write if you put a focus on that of accepting that this is one of your priorities and where can you mine this and you're able to structure it in a way where it eventually builds up to an emotional catharsis and like you have an emotional reaction to the to the story as a whole uh for me that's that's what i'm looking for yeah, I love that. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the movies that I remember that I love the most, going all the way back to being a kid, I think all of us, you know, we had some kind of emotional connection, especially to those characters, uh, to that to that world. How big are you on structuring an audience's emotional journey? That sounds really hard to do. Uh to me it's 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 everything it's everything it's it's you can get away without structuring it well you're just putting it you're just putting a lot of pressure on yourself like, like to me story story structure is is a way it gives you something to lean on to it gives you something to uh, where you don't have to be at your best through every single moment. <laughs> you can focus on scenes and sequences. And if you aren't worried about story structure, and all structure is and how I teach it is what the audience knows and when they know it in order to maximize narrative momentum and emotional resonance. That's all structure is, is what the audience knows and when they know it. And you are parsing- the C equals MC squared though. It's so hard to do. I feel well, that, like as a reader. <laughs> and what and the key is is to let it be simple. Is let it be simple because we we overthink this stuff so much. We really get in our own way. I am a big believer that we are our own worst enemy through every stage of our career, from when we are first learning and being teachable to when we start to have success and taking notes and being okay to work with. And just those mental blocks that we give ourselves like i've i've sabotaged my career in so many ways over the 27 years and i i look back of of like what a wow how different my career would have been if i knew then what i know now as far as the mental battle of it all uh and so what i seek in my te teaching is to simplify it just keep it as simple as possible what are your value systems what are your processes and how do you mine the emotion? How do you mine the story as much as possible? And so, you know, I have, I have a fairly clear process that I've developed for myself over the years that I, I rely on. And 
for me, what it does is it allows me not to be at my ultimate best every single time I sit down to write. And I think what happens is that we we have a tendency to compare ourselves to people who are ultra talented, who are just uh, like or my my mentor when I started writing plays was Edward Olby. And Edward taught me. And Edward, uh, for those a little younger who aren't familiar with Edward, Edward is, up until the time of his death, was the greatest American living playwright. I wrote Three Pulitzer Prizes, most famous for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And Edward yeah. was all, Edward was all talent. Edward was all talent. And I, I got to accept fairly early on that I was never going to be that talented and so like early in my career i could kind of be jealous of quentin tarantino making more money and getting more praise and more but also i was able to accept like oh he's just kind of doing something a little different like he is he is ultra talented he's one of our best i don't have to be the most talented writer to make a living here i don't have to be the most incredible writer to to have a career and so i just had to be very good and i had to be myself and i had to tell the stories that interested me and trust that other people would find them interesting as well and i knew that talent doesn't always show up like i like i couldn't rely on it every single day if i go through a script and i'm talented through the entire script and i nail every scene I don't really need these processes. I don't really need to think about structure all that much. I never, I don't have to think about things to rely on that could help me out. I've just never had an experience where I was that. I've had, certainly I've had scripts that were easier than others, but I know when I've struggled and I've had trouble, I've developed processes to fall back on that give me a certain floor to what I can deliver. Like I know as a professional writer doing this as long as I have been, I'm going to deliver a certain level of quality every single time. Every single time there's going to be a level of quality there. Every now and then I'm going to I'm going to knock it out of the park. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm going to really nail it. But at the worst, it's going to be very, very solid. And I think that's a big difference between professionals and people still learning because there is plenty of time when I was trying to get good at this, where I would have a script that was great and then a script that wasn't that good and then a script that was pretty good and then a script that I just should not show anyone. <laughs> and, and it wasn't until I developed things to fall back on that I was able to deliver a, a consistent quality every single time. So going back to like part of that is is letting structure be what it is let letting structure not be prescriptive of i have to do this i have to do this i have to do this all i want out of my structural choices are narrative momentum and emotional resonance that's all i want for my structural choices now i also know that there are certain choices that make that a lot easier that make those two things a lot easier having an inciting incident early on having a dramatic question coming out of act 1 Certain types of midpoints are going to be better for the story than other types of midpoints. Other movies can get away with having like not a very good midpoint and still be a great film. So you don't have to nail that midpoint, 
But I know if something's not working, I can look there and figure out like, am I missing something in that midpoint that can help me out? Love that. Where do you start uh, with your students when you get them in class and they're so excited, you know, to learn screenwriting and like, where do you even begin with them with their journeys? Well, for I get all types. I get I get professional screenwriters that come in. I get people that are just starting. Obviously, my students at U of H are very different because they're 19, 20, 21 years old. They're all, yeah. they're all very so I I treat them all pretty much the same, except for my expectations of them, you know, of like what I demand. Obviously, professional, I'm gonna be, you know, we're gonna focus on certain things. Someone has never written a script before, it's gonna be a, a very different thing. But where I start out with all of them is uh try to instill the value system, try to instill here are our priorities, here are the things that we care about. Here, here are the things that we use as criteria to make all of our choices. And, uh, you know, for me, the primary value system is story. We focus on story, how we define story, what we consider story, and then emotion. And like when I, I have found through my years that when I get stuck, if I go back and remind myself what story I'm telling, what is the story I'm telling, and what is the emotion I'm trying to evoke? that can usually get me out of a whole lot of trouble. Mm. So, yeah, that, I think that's a really interesting approach because it is ultimately the thing that matters the most. What do you do when you have a student who is struggling to find that emotion or evoke it or convey it? What what, what do you do with them? How do you help them? Um. God, it's a good question because I don't think I, I I think that's why we spend so much time instilling like the priorities of like, here's this moment. Um, uh, so I, I can't I can't really think of anyone that really struggled with that in a sense of I don't know what we're trying to do. Like mm -hmm. they could have some some elements of of maybe they don't want to go there maybe they don't want to like maybe they maybe they just don't see it as storytellers but it it's usually a sense of more my experience is much more light bulbs going off than 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 anything else and and again just going back to that shift and uh, because so much of us when we start out we're worried with plot we're worried about mechanics we're worried about events happening and once you instill over a certain amount of time and get them to accept and embrace the idea that plot is not that important, that it is the emotional reaction to the plot that counts. Like once you get them to shift there, that's the hard part, just getting them to shift that perspective and getting them to embrace story as transformation, which is how I define story. Story is the transformational journey of a human being. Like this is what the story is. Someone is someone is transforming. Now it's either the main character who's changing, or the main character is remaining steadfast and changing those around them, or the character is changing for the worse or fails to change, which is a tragedy. And it's going to be one of those. And within that transformation, why do we care about that transformation as as storytellers? Not even at the audience yet. Like, why, why does that mean something to us? Why do we engage with that? 
why do we want to tell that story? And it's all emotion based. It's all about how you feel about this. How does this make you feel? And then as we start to schedule out this story and structure it out, where is the emotion like that we care about? And we are creating scenes not to move the plot forward, but to evoke emotion. We are looking specifically for scenes that are going to create conflict, create compelling drama that's going to evoke emotion. So once we get them to shift into that direction, not only does things start getting a lot easier, uh, but like there, there doesn't seem to be, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very adamant about it of like, if I can't get you to buy into this value system, what I personally have to offer you is probably pretty limited. It just is because it, it is so important to what I do. It's so important to what I teach. And I think so important of making a career out of this. So we spend a lot of time of like, what are the three pillars by which we teach and kind of building up that foundation and then spreading out over there, which I think as a teacher is a lot to do with that's that's an area where I think I've probably brought the most um, uh, personal, unique as aspect, aspects to my teaching was all these definitions that interlock with each other that help us that once we start making big decisions, every smaller decision gets easier and easier and easier and easier. I love that. Say more about that journey of transformation, because I know for us in the audience, that catharsis, that emotional, you know, experience, uh, especially by the end of a really, really sensational film is what, what, we, what we love about the movies. And in terms of engineering a character's transformation, where do you come from uh, in that process? Well, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It, it's you, you have different starting points for every story. You know, some stories are the world you want to explore. Some stories are a situation you already have in your head. Like I, and then you have to build characters that fit that situation. Uh, sometimes you have a character, like the character is the main, you know, starting point. And now you've got to find a world that's going to transform them. Like what is going to, what is going to affect them in some way. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of the ways that I look at it when we get really, if we do struggle with the character transformation, because I don't outline anything until I know the story that like, that's like, I, I, I need to know the dramatic question coming out of act one. And I need to know the story coming out of act one. Everything else is pre-outlined until I do that. So I can, you know, think about scenes that are going to evoke emotion. I can think about you know, ways to play the game of this particular movie or this particular genre. But I don't start outlining until I know the story and the dramatic question, because every single structural piece is based off of one of those two answers. So like I know the end of act one is going to be based off of the dramatic question. I know the midpoint is going to be based off the dramatic question and the story. 
I know uh, the crisis uh, going into the third act is going to be based on the dramatic question. I know the realization is going to be based off of the story. I know the sacrifice in act three is going to be based off the story. So like, I can't, I can't really do anything until I have those two things. So uh, what I tend to do, and again, going back to if, if things are not coming easily, because sometimes they are, sometimes everything is just like, oh, well, this is this and this and this, this. Yeah. So like, and it's just, and you think you're a genius. Uh, and then the next time you do it, you're struggling for every story beat. Sure. So if I if I struggle for every story beat, then I've got this process to lean on of like, OK, I know what this is going to look like. I, I write in eight sequences and there is a fairly clear journey of of this transformation. And um, act one, the character is going to be in, in some spot is going to be like who they are. This is the ordinary world. This is who the character starts out with. This is, you know, really well defined for me of like what the character thinks they want. What does the character think they want? Which is usually an unskilled way to find what they really want. And what they really want is what their realization is in act three. And like, I need to know what that is. Now, what we're looking for with a lot of these, it just depends on the genre Sometimes it's a character piece and everything is based off of this transformation. Everything is a character piece. And then you've got like a lot of the movies that I do. I started out in action films. Um, I write horror now. I do action comedy now. Love it. Uh, we're there for the fun. You know, like we're like the, the story is what helps us resonate, like emotionally resonate to this. It's what gives us a satisfying ending it what makes us have an emotional response to it, but we're there for the scares. We're there for the action. Like we're there for the comedy. And so we're building around that. And I, um, so that, that transformation tends to be kind of decreased a little bit. It's still there because it's where we're going to get a lot of the emotion, but it's not front and center. It's the big and James set Bond isn't doing a lot of transforming. Yeah. Like Jay, like the old James Bond films, like you didn't, <laughs> Uh, I joke flat, around flat arc, uh, the flat arc. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, it is it is a there's a clear transformation there, but no one remembers it. No one. But they know how satisfying that ending was like. That's what they like. They understand how satisfying that ending was. And so they remember the big chases. They remember the big scenes. Uh, and they leave the theater satisfied, but there are very clear moments where Indiana Jones changes, but like no one walks out going, oh man, I love that spiritual transformation of Indiana Jones. That was fantastic. <laughs> you know, like they don't, could, you, it, could you tell us more about examples of the dramatic question? I'm sure my listeners would, would love to hear that. Yeah, the dramatic question is actually pretty pretty simple. Like for Indiana Jones, for example, the dramatic question is, will he get the Ark before the Nazis? Like that's very, very clear. Die Hard is, uh, will he save his wife from the terrorists soon to be revealed as, as magnificent thieves? Um, so like that, if we have a plot-focused dramatic question, we get to lean on that so much more for our structure and for our dramatic momentum. And again, like going back to like what structure is and how these definitions always reinforce each other. 
all structure is, is, is what the audience knows and when they know it in order to maximize dramatic momentum and emotional resonance. That's all it's for. So when we look at a dramatic question, we know we can do a pure character piece. Like there's no, there's no doubt taxi driver is fantastic. You know, like that's a, that's a clear hardcore character piece, Right. but we also we have to be as brilliant as Paul Schrader was during that time. We have to be as brilliant as Scarsese was at that time. And are you feeling as brilliant as Martin Scorsese <laughs> and Paul Schrader right now? You know, like, are you feeling that? Uh, I'm not feeling that too often. So for me, I want to be able to lean on something. Even if it's a character piece, I want to be able to lean on a skeleton for dramatic momentum that keeps this moving forward. And I just wrote about it. I'm thinking about it now because I just wrote about it. But I wrote about Saturday Night Fever last week, which is one of my favorite character pieces. And they have this dramatic question of, will he win the dance contest? And we do not care if he wins the dance. It's a silly dance contest. You know, like we don't care. He cares quite a bit, right? He cares. And that's sometimes that's enough. But the story isn't about the dance contest. The story is about this you know, relatively unlikable, charming, but unlikable guy with unlikable friends in an unlikable neighborhood as he slowly realizes all these things. Like, that's what that story is about. And it's framed around this dramatic question of will he win the dance contest, even though we don't really care about that. But what it does is it gives us a framework to lean on for narrative momentum, for structure, to push this thing forward. Uh, another example, more recent, which I really, really love, uh, is Manchester by the Sea, and uh, a really, a really tough, unflinching character piece that is. That was the Casey Affleck, right? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, a tragedy because he's unable to change, um, but it's a pure character piece. But they give this dramatic question of. Will he be able to take care of his nephew? Like they have a plot tacked on that rips him from his ordinary world, his place of comfort, and confronts him at his weak spot, which is he does not want to care about people. He does not, he can't handle it. And so it is a manufactured crisis for what is this character story, but it allows them to lean on this create relationships and it's just an excuse to explore these relationships to create emotion and see if this person can ultimately transform or not and while there's a little tiny slightly bit glimmer of hope ultimately it's a tragedy because he can't move on his wife has moved on other people have moved on and he just and it's heartbreaking it's just heartbreaking Uh, but it was this plot-focused thing as an excuse to explore this character. So interesting. So, My son and I have been really into watching the entrepreneur movies. We uh, most recently watched Air. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And then we saw Flame and Hot, the journey to the Hot Cheetos. Uh, <laughs> sure. It was so fantastic. And I, I get what you're saying about the dramatic question, because it's really like, are, are, is our hero going to make it? Are they going to be able to achieve their dream in a, a circumstance of impossible odds, which, of course, business is just always impossible yeah. odds. Um, and it gets you in their corner rooting for them really quickly. Yeah. And I think air is a great example because we know the result. 
Mm-hmm. Like you know the result and the film still works because these people care deeply. And there was a lot of transformation for everybody uh, inside of that. Like he, the, our main character had to really believe in himself uh, yeah. and come to terms with recognizing that he could trust himself, which I think he was afraid of, you know, yeah. early on to be able to really say, no, I believe in my instincts uh, and I'm not going to sacrifice those uh, no matter what obstacles I'm up against. It's fun as a mom too, because I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, there's these wonderful life lessons couched inside this really entertaining yeah. movie. yeah and that's like for me like uh if you have a character too tetris too yeah yeah that if you have a a character piece that doesn't really lend itself to a plot focused dramatic question then then you tend to look for what are the other devices that i could do like could i contain it in a weekend can i do something along those lines can i have five four or five subplots that each have their own uh, dramatic question and then that's why we don't have a central dramatic question so there are there are ways to get around it but life is so much easier with the plot focused dramatic question it just makes your job easier and that's really a lot of times of like what we're trying to do is how do we make a difficult job easier what choices can we make that can make our consequent choices simpler and simpler because we will left to our own devices overcomplicate things every single time yeah no no doubt no question if you had any advice for writers i have a lot of writers who listen to the show a lot of writers come through the entertainment business school what advice would you give what tips would you give to writers who want to succeed in this business uh well i mean it, it everything comes down to your writing I mean, like there's like there's there's no way around that. And and I think one of the biggest challenges people have is knowing when they're ready, Mm. knowing when it's time. I get people their very first class. They're asking about agents and um, what 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 that often does is obviously you can just go, well, don't worry about that now. Don't worry about that now. But again, of like that sense of getting in your own way. And that inability to be patient, this is a long journey, um, you know, to, to, to try to find a community. I think that was a biggest, the big thing for me is finding the community. I think, you know, like what, yeah, like what, what you do with the Wolfpack, I think is so important. Um, uh, cause that what, that's what gets you by like, like there are, you will have you will have personal connections to projects that you will feel deeply about. And that magic why for that project will get you by for that project. Like it's like this, this is personal for me because of this, this means something to me to this, this will be the thing that keeps you home writing on a Friday night rather than going out. But it's still a career. Like it's not just one document. Like, like you can't do one script and then call it a career. And so you're going to need that support. You're going to need that magic. Why you're going to need that accountability outside of that as well. So, because you're going to have a second script and you're going to have a third script and you're going to have a fourth script. So you can't rely on your passion for one project to kind of get you through this marathon. You're going to, you're going to need something else. This is, this is a business is that is is really it comes down to how many no's do you have in you 
And because you're going to get so many no's, you're going to get so many no's. And, you know, eventually some people run out, like, I don't have any more no's in me. I got to do something else, which is understandable. Like, I don't, I don't blame anyone for that of like, that's just, it's just too much rejection. I got to, I got to move on. You know, I got to do something else with my life. So, you know, find ways to restock nose and community does a huge part of that is a, is an absolutely huge part of that. And that community is also a good indicator of uh, where your script is, where's your talent level? Are you ready to move on yet? Um, that's another big thing of just being teachable throughout. I, I really, in one of the, and it's a huge part of, of the gift that teaching has done for me is that it has kept me teachable. It has kept me learning. I still feel like I am learning because I'm, I feel responsible of like communicating this to my students. So like, I still mark things off in my, in my box of, Oh, I should talk about that in class. I should write about that. That's a new thought. That's a new way to look at it. Let me, let me figure out how, how, how to share that. Um, so, you know, as far as the advice, everyone is so different. Everyone, like everyone's path is so different. People who live in LA are going to have a different bit of advice for people who live in outside. People who want to do television are going to have a slightly different path than people who want to do features. Like if you're in TV, you've got to go to LA. At least that's my opinion. Of, like if you're Thank in TV, you. get to LA, get to LA. Uh, if you're, if you're doing features, you've got more freedom to be, to be elsewhere. Um, and for me, like I, I don't do a lot of TV. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 it doesn't hurt me that much. Of course, I've, I've been trading LA and Houston for 27 years. So I've had plenty of times where I'm like, Oh God, I got to move back to LA work has, <laughs> work has slowed down. I got to move back. So, you know, it shifts, but I think when you're first getting started, your list of recommendations and, and, uh, advice is very different than what's your advice when you've got your fifth or sixth script. And I, I think for the most part, I, I see a lot of people really struggle with knowing where they are with their writing. That That's a huge, big thing of, of thinking that they're ready and then maybe they're not ready. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 That, that's a, that's a big part of it. And then also you're ready and someone may be telling you, no, and then you've got to know, no, I am ready. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you, how do you square that circle? And like, how do you be, how, like, so it's tough. Like I said, I, I feel like this is a mental battle. It is always a mental battle and you just trade mental battles. I was telling someone earlier, I, I flew out to LA last year for a film of mine that was, that was in production and I wanted to visit the set. And so I flew out there um, and and just as soon as I got there, I started getting hit with the billboards, you know, like, oh, like, you know, the award season and this show's going and this movie's going. And then I start immediately started going, I'm not doing enough. Everyone's passing me by the career. Like, like, I'm too slow. I'm not writing enough. My agents are unhappy with me. And then it literally took me to go, what the hell am I talking about? I'm here to visit a movie of mine that's in production. Like that's why I'm in town and I'm beating myself up because there's other billboards up there. Like the mental battle does not stop. It just goes on and on and on. And it you just get more skilled at dealing with it. 
I hear that. Yeah. Shakespeare said comparisons are odious. And yeah. I feel like so the much worse. My own, like my own personal development growth has come out of recognizing being a little judgy right now. I'm yeah. in comparison mind. That's why I'm suffering. Okay. I got to go, you know, take the pressure off and give myself permission to be right where I am. Yeah. And that, that is important as a writer. So much of what we do is mine our own personal experiences and our pain and uh, our challenges, our struggles, our love to get on the page, what we, what the depth of what we want to convey. And that that's a really hard thing to do. It's, it, it takes, it requires a lot of vulnerability. Oh my gosh. I mean, because we're here sitting here talking about emotion of like evoke emotion, evoke emotion. Well, that's scary. Like that's really tough. Cause not only are you tapping in emotion and putting it on the page or you're being vulnerable in that way, but you're also presenting it to someone and saying, I think this is emotional. Oh no, we're presenting it to someone and saying, love me. Yeah. <laughs> that itself is like, well, are you, and then they go, bad, this moment didn't work for me. Next. <laughs> and then you're like, it's just, oh, oh, it's painful. It is. Yeah. yeah constant vulnerability. I don't, I don't know that it, I mean, I feel like the only way it's gotten easier for me, all those rejections, um, is that I, early on, because I'm also a novelist, a HarperCollins novelist for my book written in the ashes, and early on, all those rejections in my career, I would hole up in bed for a weekend crying and eating cookies and watching movies for a whole weekend. My bed was my life raft and I was sure. not leaving it. I was not stepping a toe on the floor. And <laughs> if you needed me, forget about it. I'm not answering the phone. And I've gotten to the point now where I just expect the rejection. So it's always just a really pleasant surprise. And it's like, oh, really? This is yeah. moving the next step. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't anticipate that. And, and, it, and you just need one. You know, like you just need one. I my my very first agent, I I had a nice letter of recommendation from Edward Albee, which I was 23 years old. So I thought that was the ticket to everything right. it was like here's the world's greatest playwright writer saying hey this guy's good everyone I, I sent out emails to everyone in LA everyone in New York and the only place I didn't send anything to was CAA because I like I like they I heard stories of how they would put ridiculous query letters up on the wall and kind of mm, make fun of them and, you know, like in the I was like yeah there's no way I'm sending anything to to CAA I'm not going to do that and so I heard nothing but no from everyone, just rejection. Some people asked to read it and then said no. And then we produced a play of mine here in Houston and it got really nice reviews. And I got a phone call from an agent at CAA and said, hey, I got this review. You know, we'd like to read this script. And they and. David ended up being my first agent for the first six years of my, of my career. That's incredible. And, yeah. And it was just from one doing it myself of like producing a play, putting it up. And, and then two, the illusion that I was in more demand than I was. And <laughs> so like David wanted to grab me before someone else did. Of course, he had no idea that everyone had just rejected me. And also the miracle of how that review ended up on his desk was just like this weird little thing. 
But that's what started my screenwriting career. I was just a playwright at the time. And David talked me into writing screenplays and became my agent. Um, and so like now that I think about it, when you ask like, what's the advice to screenwriters? And I think that's a big one, which is just create. Keep doing it. Keep doing whether it's short films, keep writing, um, you know, uh, helping other people do something that is adding value to the creative world. Keep doing that. And if you keep getting better at that, you eventually like it's it's um, you know, you just think about Castaway of, of eventually uh, a door from a portage on ends up on the beach or the review of your play ends up on the desk uh, of an agent at CAA. But but like you are putting things into the world and you are creating and you're getting better at it. You're developing community and you're ready when your shot comes. And that's really all it is, is like you you want to be ready for when your shot comes. Someone asks for a script and you've got something there. But what's making the mass for the script? All that hard work. Yep. Yep. All that hard work. Tom, thank you so much for being with us today. I, I love following you on Twitter too. You have some really fantastic advice there. Twitter X, uh, as we yeah. have now. Um, yeah. So Thanks I so much. Absolutely. Um, again, that link to grab his free gift of that special download that he created for you is storyandplot.com forward slash Wolfpack. Yeah. And there's a 15% a, a discount for all your listeners too, for anything if they... Oh, I love and that. Thank you so much. The, the email, the Tuesday email is always free. It's just a, it's a screenwriting lesson every Tuesday morning. So that's always free. I do teach classes if that becomes something you're interested in. Uh, but the Tuesday email is always free. And you teach virtual classes so folks in the, outside of Houston can learn from you? Absolutely. I, I teach both uh, online classes on Monday nights for Story and Plot Pro. And then I have uh, asynchronous classes, which are pre-recorded, uh, take at your own pace which uh, I got to say, like, I was really skeptical of them, but they have turned out really, really well. A great, a great environment for people. I, uh, I've been very, very gratified by the positive response to them. And I've just been teaching for so long. So I know how to organize this stuff and like structure it out to really make the most of it. I love that. Well, and he says that you all can't see, but behind him, he has like the most organized whiteboards and bulletin boards for all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the I new spec it. back there. Oh, awesome. That's so fantastic. Well, I'd love to have you back on the show anytime. Thank you for the fabulous tips uh, and advice. Where can people follow you and find you in addition to the website? Uh, yeah, of course, the website, storyandplot.com. And then you can find me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com, uh, story and plot. And then Facebook is the same, story and plot, all one word. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hollywood Wolfpack. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Please help our pack grow by sharing Hollywood Wolfpack with your friends and colleagues. Give us a rating and write us a review. Kaya loves hearing from you and reads them all. 
For more on Kaya and the Entertainment Business School, visit entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Until next week, remember, the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack.